Good morning and welcome to the Reliably Well podcast, a podcast for medical professionals looking for insight into ways to be more effective for their patients and communities by making sure they are caring for themselves first and thriving in their lives. Welcome to the Reliably Well podcast. My name is Sam Peters and I'm the host along with Dr. Johnsey. Today we're going to be discussing unanticipated outcomes. Uh, we have a malpractice episode for you and today we're honored to have three guests with us. And before I introduce our guests, what we want to do today is define what an unanticipated outcome is. We want to explain the steps through which we can respond to an unanticipated outcome. And then also we want to highlight some mistakes uh, that we should avoid when we have an unanticipated outcome. Our hope for this episode is that we give clinicians clarity and assurance during this process. We know that this is being sued is one of the most stressful events for clinicians, and this episode is intended to help. So we're excited to have Teddy Gillen with us, and you are the uh, principal of Epic Insurance Brokers and Consultants. Teddy, you want to give an introduction? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Uh, my name is Teddy Gillen. I'm with Epic Brokers. Uh, we're a national insurance brokerage firm, and I'm a principal on the healthcare team. Um, and as an insurance broker and risk consultant, we're the middleman in the relationship between Relias and the insurance carrier, which in this case is NorCal Mutual. And as a firm, we maintain relationships with dozens of insurers that provide medical malpractice insurance coverage for physicians, for hospitals, and for other healthcare facilities. <clears throat> and most of these insurance companies exclusively work with independent insurance brokerage firms like ours, and we specialize specifically in medical malpractice insurance. So in our role, we work with the Relias executive team to understand the ins and outs of the organization's operations and malpractice exposures. And then we create a risk management and insurance solution um, to best fit the needs of the organization. And really our goal is simple and that's to minimize and lower the cost of risk uh, to the organization. So uh, we reevaluate this plan on an annual basis and we put uh, a plan together that includes insurance coverage um, and joining us on the call and you're about to get to it is uh, an, introdu an introduction to NorCal Mutual and the team on the call today. Um, we've had since 2016, we've partnered with NorCal Mutual. Uh, they've offered the best program and pricing available in the market. And we're lucky to have uh, Cindy Nation and Patrick Flanagan on the team. They've been a great resource for us. So I'm excited to be here as Reliance continues to grow rapidly. I think it's critical to that we you know, focus on minimizing risk wherever possible. I think it starts with um, this conversation of how to respond to unanticipated outcomes, um, because how you respond um, can make the difference between, you know, litigation and uh, no litigation. Uh, so happy to be here and, and thank you for inviting me for this podcast. And Teddy, I don't want people to hear broker and think you're just the salesman uh, of the policy uh, as I want them to know your, your knowledge of the product is, is extensive and, um, you're on call 24 seven. And I've even called on you on a 
Georgia Bulldogs football weekend to talk one of my doctors through our policy and contracts. And so uh, your knowledge is much appreciated, uh, even though we, we have some other uh, technical ex- experts as well from uh, from the insurance company themselves. So appreciate having you with us. And then Cindy Nation uh, is the Senior Risk Management Specialist with the NorCal Group. Uh, Cindy, you want to uh, introduce yourself? Yes. Um, thank you guys for having me aboard. I really appreciate it. I've been excited about just the thought of participating in this uh, podcast. So thank you very much. Um, I am, the best best way to put it is an extension of collater- collaborative risk resources, meaning that when you have uh, events that happen from a risk perspective, you may be concerned on how to handle certain things or, you know, what what you should do. So what I do through NorCal Group is provide resources and uh, also whatever the issue is that may be there, just go through the guidelines that are within those resources to help the provider. I have a long history of risk management experience and always enjoy helping our providers. Great. Thank you, Cindy. And then Patrick Flanagan, um, you've been with NorCal for about nine years, and you oversee agent and broker relationships. Uh, Patrick, you want to introduce yourself? Then also at the end of that, would you want to give maybe a two-minute summary of the history between Relias and NorCal? Sure, absolutely, Sam. Thank you so much for having us on the call and the podcast today. What a pleasure it is. And Dr. Johnsy as well, Luke West and Pam and, and the whole staff and folks over at Reliance have just been an absolute pleasure to work with since 2016. Um, we're a mutual company out of San Francisco and my company that I formerly worked for, Medicus in Austin, Texas was acquired in November of 2011. And we have made subsequent acquisitions across the country and have grown um, with partners like Teddy Gillen and Epic, uh, as well as other brokers and agents across the country in a distribution model to write exclusively medical malpractice insurance for physicians and surgeons and allied healthcare professionals. It's all we do day in and day out. And uh, we, we feel it's a great market and business to be in, although we've had a very challenging year, as I'm sure you have. But I would like to thank you and your uh, physicians and staff uh, being out on the front lines of this national pandemic. Uh, you're, you're heroes, really. And I know you're way too modest to, to accept that, but it, it's true. And we really do thank you for all your efforts and uh, the long hours that you've been putting in, putting yourself in, in risk and danger out there every single day. So uh, hats off to you. The relationship with uh, with Relias has been great over the last five years. We've uh, grown together and uh, we've seen you grow and acquire new contracts, break into other states, Alabama being one of them, obviously your domicile state of Mississippi. Your visit count in the emergency room has drastically increased, uh, which is great. These are great problems to have in in a market that tends to shrink. Uh, There's a lot of acquisition activity, even uh, healthcare practices that are that are folding and, and going out of business, unfortunately, due to the due to the times that we're having. Uh, medical malpractice, and, and Teddy might get into this more later. Um, 
is heading into a, a correction, if you will, from, from how we have been historically rating uh, physicians and practices like yours. Um, it's been a it's been a soft market since the onset of of a lot of state tort reform, which is great for physicians um, throughout the last decade or so. And it tends to harden up and, and be cyclical. Um, that's the nature of the business and the reinsurance markets and at a, at the retail level insurance as well. Um, not to dive too deep into those weeds, but certainly want to thank Relias for their business. And we have a great relationship and look forward to taking it into the future. Um, I will politely uh, be quiet now and uh, <laughs> let our expert resident on uh, one of my colleagues, one of my fairly newer colleagues, although I think she's been with the outfit for about a year now out of Tampa, Florida, Cindy Nation, one of our risk managers, uh, take over from here and, and get into the meat and potatoes of the episode. So really appreciate you guys being on the podcast with us today. I think that um, one of the most um, terrifying events in a medical career is really a lawsuit. Uh, we've all as clinicians have heard, um, colleagues, horror stories of, of, of weight loss, of depression, of, uh, marriages on the rocks during one of these, uh, events that, that transpire. Uh, and typically we're not talking about bad medicine that occurs. We're talking about, uh, bad outcomes for patients, um, that, that transpire, um, I think there's no way to eliminate that no matter how safe we practice medicine, no matter how many CTs we order on patients or um, however we try and, and be uh, defensive. Um, so these things may happen and, and statistics say they're going to happen in an emergency physician's career at some point along the way uh, that you're going to find yourself um, in, in one of these situations. So um, while we can't stop them from occurring, what we can do is prepare ourselves mentally uh, to be ready to approach them and to take some of that apprehension down about what may come from this. So um, NorCal has a, a framework uh, of sorts to, to help build um, the, the response to an unanticipated outcome, such as uh, a misdiagnosis or um, a, a, an accidental uh, misdosing of a medication or a response that was, that was unseen uh, to a medication uh, and the like. Um, Cindy, could you help us kind of go through and, and see from uh, uh, maybe a 10,000-foot view what that approach generally is, uh, those steps that NorCal's established, in, and then we'll try and flesh that out a little bit. Sure, um, and and please feel free, everyone, to jump in when I go over these. Um, these are general guidance just to kind of have an idea of what to do when you're within these scenarios, which can be very frustrating and scary for everyone involved. So, so yes, we will definitely go through those. Um, what I really want to point out that has been statistically proven is that caring and being sympathetic of the situation is of the utmost importance. And when there's a reduction in potential liability, it's because patients want to know and their family want to know that you care. Um, that is number one, always. Uh, secondly, if there's any type of um, evidence that uh, 
relates to the potential um, unanticipated outcome, make sure you preserve that evidence. That could be, you know, devices, that could also be syringes or tubing or you name it that could be involved. So you want to make sure that that is um, preserved. Also to document uh, the information well um, and stick with the facts. There are sometimes where we want to elaborate because you know it's it's all a feeling of angst and when you go to document you want to maybe paint the picture for someone not realizing that inadvertently the picture that you're painting may shift blame or it may um, cause for more mistrust even though your intentions weren't of that so um, cindy if i could interject there so sure uh, maybe there was a discussion that that was held between the clinician and somebody else on staff and there was disagreement on possibly the district uh, um, disposition of the patient or the or the treatment uh, plan of care for that patient um, should should that be documented or how much of that should be documented is that sort of some of that blame game or controversy that you're talking about putting in the medical record that we might want to really um, pause a bit before we put something like that in there so depending on the description, for sure, Dr. Johnsey, uh, it you want to stick with the truly the medical facts and try to avoid the opinion. If it, the medical facts are based on what is involved in the treatment plan or the assessment of the patient or anything that has to do with documentation following the medical um, outcomes or potential outcomes of the patient, that's what you want to stick to. Even if someone has a difference of opinion, one of the colleagues may have a difference of opinion. You still want to be respectful and want to still maintain it's for the purpose of the medical treatment of the patient. How late after that episode of care has, um, th this is a common thing that I hear from people, maybe there's not um, any sort of a suit that happens, but uh, the care just wasn't um, smooth. Maybe there was controversy or a complaint that came in uh, hours or days later. How how close uh, to the end of the episode of care should the documentation be completed? Is there some sort of guideline that you'd have on that? So there's a, a couple of things with that. Um, there should be documentation initially of the event. Now, any type of analysis, event analysis afterwards, you may have to um, add that at a later point, but all of this should be done within a timely manner as it's fresh. And if I could speak to that and from the brokerage side and what we see is uh, sometimes we see fear on the client side thinking, oh, well, if I, if I report something to my insurance carrier, it's gonna negatively impact my insurability, our rates, uh, we're gonna pay a higher premium at renewal. And with this relationship we have with NorCal, nothing could be further from the truth. And I think statistically you'd see that the earlier that things are documented and reported uh, and addressed in the specifically unanticipated outcomes, the better opportunity we have to mitigate the total impact and potentially just remove the ability of, of litigation. Um, and I think we're going to get into this next, and so maybe Cindy could talk to it, but the, I think it's important to note that that what you put in the medical record is completely different than what you report to the insurance company in terms of the incident report um, or the medical record is discoverable uh, from a plaintiff's side and uh, you know some of the, the reporting of the incident and the, the communication with the insurance carrier 
they're going to hire defense and you're going to have an attorney involved most likely if it's something that looks like it's escalating that communication is not discoverable and so there's you want to have a you know take a pretty um uh, you know stick to the facts approach with the medical records and uh, we've had an example here that we've seen not with relias but with other clients where um, you know, a physician provided, decided to provide a lot of color in the medical record. Uh, and that color essentially, you know, shifted blame to the patient. The patient wanted a certain procedure with a certain technology that they typically don't use, but they decided to use anyway. And he thought that, that all this color was actually adding to the defensibility of the bad outcome when in fact it did the opposite because upon discovery, uh, it, you know, it clearly um, made the, 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 the claim much, much harder to, to defend, um, given just the just those, you know, I guess, color, for lack of a better word, not sticking to the facts of, hey, we implanted this device, you know, it didn't properly work. Uh, we had the patient back in on, on the next date. Um, so I don't know if that's helpful. Uh, maybe Cindy can so, speak to more about. So, so what I'm hearing, Teddy, is, uh, is, and, and I'm showing my age and actually showing beyond my age, really. But the Joe Friday approach, just the facts, ma'am, uh, that's that's the right approach to the medical record, at least, uh, of keeping it close to the facts that are there as opposed to the color or the impression or the, uh, the side nuance uh, that we might be more free to be able to provide to our insurer or legal counsel should it reach that point. I, absolutely. So right. And you may have internal processes as well, like peer review and, and such as that, or even even in your evidence analysis that you do for the event, there are certain things that are internal processes that are considered confidential. And within those within those processes, that documentation is going to be different than your medical records. Some of it may be the same, but you may be more able to elaborate uh, to talk about it, such as you're tracking and trending and tracking your misses or different things that can happen um, that obviously you're concerned about the risk, but how do we improve from this, like quality assurance or uh, or improvement measures that you're, you're using this information to make sure that you're able to learn and increase your pace, patient safety drive to make sure that the outcomes are better. So that's what uh, both of you are referring to about confidentiality and internal process of confidentiality, which also includes, you know, the legal perspectives of your general counsel or even us as your medical malpractice insurance carrier. Those types of things, and as far as that is concerned, is different than the medical record. Medical records should just stick to the medical facts in regards to the treatment plans, the assessments, I have that backwards, sorry, assessment treatment plans, and also the prognosis of your patient or certain disclosure findings and so forth. So after we've completed the documentation, where, where do we go from there, Cindy? So um, you may have follow-up afterwards, depending on the event, uh, and the disclosure still may be ongoing. Um, with that being said, all of that still needs to continue with the documentation. So you don't just end the documentation, you just keep moving forward depending on what the unanticipated outcome um, 
if it finalizes, if it doesn't finalize, if it's going to be an ongoing treatment, you keep that communication open, whether it be with the patient or the HIPAA approved family, because you have to get consent. We don't want to forget about HIPAA uh, regarding what's involved and what is going to be needed for the future. So we, uh, obviously the, the, the uh, record of care at that time would be closed, but we would go on and and continue to document, um, uh, as you said, these um, ongoing conversations that may come up with family or with ongoing care. Um, what about if um, I get to a point um, after I've finished my, my medical record and it's been a reasonable period of time to have, uh, and I'm speaking about the medical record um of in our instance the ed visit that transpired where this unanticipated outcome uh actually started or occurred uh, initially but then i remember something that went on after the fact i remember a conversation that i had i remember um you know uh four or five days a week later uh something that uh that that was told to me verbally but didn't wind up in the medical record is there a good way to to handle that um maybe there's not really a peer review investigation going on um but we we are aware that that uh that there was an unanticipated outcome and we are aware um that it's a high risk situation how should i control that would that be a conversation back to norcal or those written notes that I might take myself and, and quantify in some way as to when those happen? Any guidelines on that? Sure. So it, it all depends. So if, if you have not had a, any type of litigation threat or if you, have, um, you don't have an active claim that's happening and you need to make an addendum to the record, then and you don't have an attorney that's been assigned or what have you, then yes, you can make an addendum to the record and to notate that, um, that it is an addendum to the record because you're adding that piece of information that's relative to what occurred or what the, what's the next treatment plan or what have you that you remember that may have, that may result in a different outcome um, moving forward. The unanticipated outcome already happened, but what are we doing to still maintain, you know, the the medical care for the patient? And you want to make sure that that is in the medical record. So not trying to alter previous documentation is a key that I'm hearing there. Um, even if it is incorrect what we stated there or a little bit opposed to what we're, we're putting in there, but document this new information or this additional information clearly when we added it to the record uh, independently so there's no um, uh, confusion about how that came to be in the record? Well, a lot of times now, as you, as you all know, there are audits that can occur, um, timelines that are uh, obvious in a medical record when you're reviewing a medical record. And to make clarity on a record, to make it seem that the integrity of the record is genuine, Going back to alter a record is considered something that should not be done. It's more of moving forward and making that addendum and notating that in the documentation that that you're doing so. Now, I sometimes see individuals talk about, you know, there was a, an unanticipated outcome and um, 
then they notice that the dictation that they did has a misspelling or has a uh, something that, that, that just looks uh, unprofessional uh, in the way they phrase something or the punctuation that came across, uh, something like that. Best to leave that, um, the record, uh, even if it does have uh, some, some misspelling or something else that doesn't um, signify the professionalism we brought into the interaction, best to leave that there than to try and alter that initial record. Is that correct? Well, like I was saying, the the records the record is audited. Generally, it's open for audit. If if there is um, any type of litigation that may come from the event, then usually that's requested by plaintiffs' counsel. And for typos and those kind of things, no, that's not an issue. It's more of did you change the integrity of the record? Did you change uh, what the viewpoint may have been from someone else reading that? So it's more of making sure that the documentation is accurate to what has occurred. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. Um, Sometimes these things come back, um, uh, especially I'm thinking about uh, maybe the initial x-ray was read one way, but then another clinician sees the x-ray uh, a day or a week later in follow-up and, and, and indicates to the patient that there's been a, a, a miss. Uh, the diagnosis was not made initially um, on the initial reading of that x-ray. And so that generates a complaint one way or another. Uh, most hospitals have some sort of a complaint system. Um, how is there any recommendations on how we handle uh, those, those complaints that get generated um, just ignore them and they'll go away eventually. Uh, is that the that the the right policy? <laughs> Don't we wish that was the case? But no, um, I have to refer back to the AMA guidelines in regards to ethics because unanticipated outcomes still may be something that is um, in need of disclosure. There may also be rules for your hospital bylaws or even in your internal policy or even with the Joint Commission, um, depending on you know, the situation that has happened, that it does call for disclosure. So in the event that is the case, disclosure has to be made and you have to document that discussion of disclosure. And so are there any uh, ground rules for, um, say, the, the, the patient or the family uh, demands a face-to-face uh, at some point in time with the clinicians involved? Uh, any good guidelines about how to have that interaction, who to have that interaction with, or who to talk with before you have that interaction? Sure. If you have some someone that's uncomfortable, not meaning the patient, or the patient's family, but you have, let's say, you have a new provider. They've never, they've never had this happen to them before. They're scared. They're scared they're going to get sued. You know, all of the angst that comes along with it. Um, it's best to speak with. People that are experienced, such as your that, and are also confidential. You have to think about that. You can't just have sideline conversations with a with another provider that's in your group. You may have to refer to the medical director or who that supervising physician uh, may have been at the time, um, or the appointed policy on how that's handled within that facility, such as the hospital. Again, may have bylaws on how how they handle that, and you have to follow that. So leaning on someone that has experience, even in the risk management team with the hospital, even your malpractice carrier, we, um, with our risk management department, we help with certain guidance, again, with resources and collaboratively help our providers to go through these scenarios and what to think about when they're, when they're up against these things. 
and having that discussion, what to say? Are there uh, talking points that we can help them through? Are there um, other ways to help them feel supported when they're having this discussion and understanding who specifically they can talk to, not just on the hospital side, like with you guys in the emergency room department, but also what about the patient side? Because you're you're also anticipating that patient is going to be angry or the family is going to be angry. And that's just an uncomfortable situation to be in. So you may want to help that person. Again, the, the people that are appointed with, under the confidentiality scenario. Um, to, to anticipate these really tough questions. Well, what happened? Why didn't you catch that on the radiograph? What do you mean? And, you know, and then all of these, these um, questions of trust come up. So again, you have to be sympathetic with the situation and how the patient may feel and put yourself in their shoes while you're going through this process as well and showing that you care. So as you're discussing the disclosure itself, then also um, answering any questions that they have and going through with, we still are moving forward with the treatment plan and who the appointed person would be to talk to about that, whether it be the provider that was involved themselves or if it's somebody on that team that would discuss that with them regarding that disclosure. Yeah, I really like that. Uh, the, uh, several of the points you brought up there, Cindy. Um, I think sometimes um when I've heard clinicians have these unanticipated outcomes, their first response is to want to, in some ways, do the right thing and reach out to the family, but maybe reach out from a very emotional state uh, where they feel very, um, uh, very uh, conscientious about their role and maybe too much so uh, of their role in the unanticipated outcome. So getting some counsel from someone else and being very particular with that one that a medical director or higher up is someone who falls sort of under that QA mandate. Uh, and so these conversations take on a different, uh, stance than if I'm talking with my friend, uh, who I went to medical school with, who happens to be another doc in this ED or another ED. And that might not fall, probably doesn't fall under any sort of protections whatsoever. And then thinking about EDs, we're not an independent physician out in our clinic, out in our office by ourselves, but we function in a very collaborative and integrated system. So what may feel, I may feel somewhat responsible for some of that um, guilt or blame may carry out to other clinicians and the institution that we work in. And all of those institutions have some sort of risk management uh, apparatus as well to help us through some of these very um, uh, uh, troublesome waters that we may be navigating with a, an issue like this. What you can do with your colleagues as well is invite them to the peer review process because that can also outline different things and give examples of what they may be up against sometimes, including your newer providers that you know may have not had, a, had experience in that before. Um, also, they need to be aware of apology laws because apology laws differ in states and they need to be aware of that. Um, when the first reaction from, from most people is, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry this happened. I did this, you know, they want to help the situation, but without, you know, 
pointing blame to themselves inadvertently because that can happen. And it's not that they mean for that to happen. It's that it's, it's the nature of the whole, you know, situation you want, you're in medicine because you care about people. And the last thing that you want to feel is that you were the cause of someone to get harmed. So, but you still have to be careful with an apology because an apology can also be in certain states be used in the litigation process as an admission. So you have to be careful with that. There's different ways that you can you can give sympathy and still be apologetic, but not putting blame on yourself. I'm I'm so sorry that you're going through this situation. That's one example. I'm so sorry that this is occurring, but you're not coming back and saying, I'm sorry, I did this. I, you know, you're not pointing to yourself. You're, you're sorry for the situation. So there's ways to handle that. And it's important for your providers to be familiar with, if there's any that exist, that um, apology laws within certain states that they provide care. And we may even be tr- thinking that we're throwing the blame somewhere else with an elaborate discussion. Oh, that piece of equipment, I've reported it three times, but the fact that we use that piece of equipment again on this patient, we've actually, yes, maybe displaced some guilt on the facility or whoever maintains that, but without my knowledge that it it malfunctioned a few times already and now I've used it again, I may be throwing some more guilt on myself for using it on this patient. So it, it's it's easy to have some some verbal diarrhea in a stressful situation like that and wind up really uh, messing the situation up terribly. Absolutely. So other points from, uh, of how to manage these, these uh, unanticipated outcomes, key thoughts that, uh, that you have Cindy or Teddy or Patrick. Yeah, I mean, for, for me, I think, so um, we'd love to have all your prior providers, signed up on NorCal system, right? NorCal has um, some best-in-class resources from a risk management, um, from uh, the documents that they put out uh, to the CMEs that they have, uh, that you have access to online. And they actually have a document, the nine steps to respond to unanticipated outcomes. You know, for me, I'd like to see this document circulated you know, to, to all your providers and uh, have them, you know, check off on reading it, and then also to your executive team, um, just to make sure that everyone's aware from the clinician to the non-clinician on how to develop best practices. And uh, if we could, you know, to the extent that we can mitigate any lawsuits, it makes my job easier (laughs) when placing your insurance, um, because um, you guys have been a fantastic uh, risk for NorCal and, you know, knocking on wood, you know, the claims activity that we have seen has been highly defensible. We just had some recent wins um, that um, that you all are probably aware of, uh, where we had the physicians completely excused from the case after after many, many years. So uh, things are going great. We want to continue to see that track record. So um, thank you again for this, uh, this opportunity. Cindy, Patrick, do you guys have anything to add? Sure, I would piggyback. Thank you, Cindy. I, I would piggyback on on Teddy's sentiments there as well. If there is an incident that we need to get reported into our claims portal, certainly Teddy Gillen and his staff over at Epic, one of our elite agency partners, uh, would 
be more than happy to help you with that situation and getting us involved earlier uh, is always better. We can assign a, a claims uh, specialist, if you will, uh, to that case and, and potentially get defense counsel assigned uh, uh, right at the onset so that you don't have to go into any meetings with patients or uh, plaintiff's attorneys uh, by yourself or feel like um, you don't have representation from your medical malpractice carrier. Uh, that, that is why we are here, and that is why you uh, so diligently pay us uh, your premiums, and we certainly appreciate that business. Uh, also, our awards-winning uh, uh, claims man uh, claims litigation support documents there's a six five or six part series teddy i'll get that over to you and you can share that with the good doctor and get that uploaded into their portal uh if there is a, a suit that you are currently uh in there's some great material out there that we provide and then i'll let cindy talk more about um our claims or excuse me our risk management and cme platform so as you guys already know, probably um, working so closely with you, we're, we're very big on providing resources for our providers. We want to give you all of the potential scenarios that you may up, be up against and help to guide you through different things that have already occurred. Even in our um, CME um, articles that we provide to you, we give case examples. We do, we give case examples, which may be relatable to the things that you guys are going through. In addition to our resource documents that we have for certain situations that you may have. And we're, we also have um, our call center that we, as risk managers, if you're not really sure if it's necessarily a claim and you just kind of want to talk it through about the risk management issue, that's what we're here for. You can call, we have a um, 800 number that you can contact us and we can walk it through. And then if it is something that claims needs to be involved in, well, we will refer you back over to our claims team. But if it's not, then we'll walk it through and we'll help you with every effort that we can um, to hopefully have a better outcome. So. Well, thank you guys. Um, I, I appreciate that framework and we will add uh, these links to our, our podcast notes for our clinicians to to dive in there. I think one of the big take-homes I, I hope that everyone hears from this is you're not alone should one of these outcomes happen. Um, and these things are going to happen in the environment that we work in. So that's part of our whole reason for this episode is to bring out some voices um, that support us in this aspect of healthcare. Uh, and know that we have resources there, those those CME resources that can help us prepare on the front end uh, to reduce our risk and, and kind of know what we need to do should um, this happen to one of us individually. And I will add myself uh, to that list of folks that are uh, available to call uh, should you want to, you know, vet something uh, before you even go up the next step. But again, to reiterate, reporting these things it's not a negative. It doesn't go on a practitioner database or anything like that. Just reporting it uh, to uh, the malpractice carrier doesn't change rating or anything else. Uh, all it does is to help us, should something develop, uh, to, to have a, a response and be prepared for that. Yeah, thank you, Cindy. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you, Teddy. Thank you, Dr. Johnsey. And thank you to our listeners who are listening. We appreciate 
you. Please subscribe to the channel. Reach out to me if you have an idea for a future episode. And until next time, be well. Bye.